Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Hospitality and Leaving the Margins by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning as we continue our series on hospitality will be two laws from the Torah, from God's Old Testament law. One of them is found in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 16, verses 9 through 12. That's found on page 299 in your pew Bibles. I'll read that first. The second is found in Leviticus 19, and that's verses 9 and 10, and that's found on page 184 in your pew Bibles. And while you're looking those things up, let me just hold this book up for you. Um, Some of you may know we've been selling this in the multi-purpose room. Uh, As you guys, uh, as we together consider the practice of hospitality, this is a book we're offering as a supplement. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, It's a very simple book. It's not overly academic. It gives really practical solutions about ways to be a good neighbor at home. Uh, And it's worth reading. You can pick it up for a nominal cost in the multi-purpose room. And I'll actually be referring to this book in my sermon this morning. And then one more announcement. Um, In two weeks at our evening service, we're having a special service that's actually geared to hospitality. We're calling it our Koinonia service. It'll happen at 5 o'clock. Immediately afterwards, there'll be a dinner, simple dinner. So parents, you can take your kids and feed them. You don't have to cook. It'll be tremendous. And um, at that service, as a way to sort of celebrate all the generations, we're going to try to sing hymns of each generation's youth. So if you're, uh, you know, 85 years old, we're going to try to discern what were the hymns that you sang in youth group back in your day. We'll sing a couple of those. And then all the generations up to the present, and it'll be a way to sort of remember our union in Christ. That's in a couple of weeks. And if you have songs that you think we should sing at that service, don't hesitate to tell Larry or me. Let's hear what the Lord has to say to us in the law of Deuteronomy 16. God says to the people of Israel, count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the Feast of Weeks to the Lord your God by giving a freewill offering in proportion to the blessings that the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he chose as a dwelling for his name, at the temple. You and your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levites in your town, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Okay, now let's turn back to Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10, and you will hear this is another harvest time law. When you reap the harvest of your land, says the Lord, do not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. So I I think, I think that it's pretty simple and straightforward to see how these two ancient laws have something to do with hospitality, how they apply hospitality. But just in case, uh, let me just go over them very briefly and and explain it. 
That first law that I read, the one from Deuteronomy, is uh, the law that prescribes for the people that they celebrate every year the Feast of Weeks, or as you better know it, the Feast of Pentecost. And the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, was always celebrated way at the end of the harvest season. So the harvest was all cut down, it was all gathered in, it was all in the barns. There was a long, hot summer that was about to begin, so you wouldn't be able to grow very much. And to celebrate the fact that the harvest was in, the Lord called the people to Jerusalem, to the temple, where they were going to have a thanksgiving celebration. They were supposed to give thanks to the Lord for all his good provision. It was one of the three feasts where the people were called to come to Jerusalem to celebrate. One of the three pilgrimage feasts every year. And as I think you heard, part of that celebration was the bringing of their first fruit offerings, right? Their offering at the temple for the goodness of God. And where does hospitality come in? Hospitality comes in to the Feast of Weeks in that when God invites them to come to the temple and celebrate their Thanksgiving meal, he says, don't just invite your family and friends. Invite others. Your manservant, your maidservant, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So not just your family and friends. And don't just invite to the Thanksgiving dinner those who have the capacity to bring a dish. Invite some of those other people to come and sit down with them and get to know them. Practice hospitality to those folks too. That's Deuteronomy 16. If Deuteronomy 16 is a law for the end of the harvest feast, Leviticus 19 is a law for the beginning of the gathering of the harvest. So earlier in the spring, the plants are growing and the harvest is beginning. And the Lord says very plainly to people, when you harvest... Do not harvest right up to the edge of your field. Leave a margin around the sides where the poor and the foreigner can come and they can glean so that they can have a livelihood too. And when you go over your vineyards, when you're going through and pick all your grapes, just go over the vineyard once. Don't go back and to get all the grapes you missed. Don't pick up the grapes from the ground. Leave some for others to glean. Let these people come into your field don't be afraid of them. Welcome them. Practice hospitality. Work right beside them. Those are the two laws. And I think the hospitality in those laws is pretty plain, right? The hard part is in the application. These Old Testament laws from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they can be perfectly clear, but applying them to the modern context, that's where the tricky bit starts. So how do we apply it? Well, let me ask you this. How many of you have fields that you harvest? Not very many. There are a few. There are a few at LaGrave. If you start thinking, you can remember. Is, is, is this law only for them? For those of you who are still in agriculture? Or maybe those of you who are avid gardeners and have a really big garden? Is the message of this law for only you guys? You know, leave a few beans on the beanstalk? Leave a few apples in the orchard? That can't be right. That's not universal enough. And these laws, when they were first instituted, were clearly universal because just about every Israelite person practiced agriculture and had some sort of field or some sort of crop they were growing, right? When they came into the land, the Lord gave them a portion. Everyone got land. And you kept that land unless you lost it through bad business and you went into debt. Sometimes you lost your land. But even then, it was restored to you at the year of Jubilee. 
Okay, so everybody had land, everybody had a field. This applied to absolutely everyone. So we need a broader application of this law for us in 2019, something that applies to everyone. Okay, some of you may be thinking, well, I know where you're going. You're gonna talk about the harvest of our finances. We all reap a financial harvest and you're gonna call us, Peter, to leave a margin of our financial harvest and give to the needy. Well, that's a very good thing to do, and please keep doing that. But I don't think that's a good application of this particular law either. Because when you just write a check, when you just give money, it can be a very impersonal thing, right? It's a wonderful thing to do, keep doing it, but if you're just writing a check and putting it in a mail, there's no face-to-face. And if you think about these laws and the hospitality embodied in them. It were very face-to-face. If you invited the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow to the Thanksgiving dinner at the Feast of Weeks, you would see them face-to-face. You would talk with them. You'd get to know their stories and their names. And if you allowed the poor and the stranger into the margin of your fields, like Leviticus 19 says, you'd work right beside them. You'd learn their stories. You'd learn their names. And if you want a vivid example of that, look at the book of Ruth. When Boaz welcomes Ruth into his field, do they get to know each other? They get to know each other pretty well. You can go read that story later. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. So writing a check is good. Please keep doing that. But it's not quite a fulfillment of the intention of this law. What then would be a fulfillment? Let me offer this. Perhaps the field where you and I need to leave a margin unharvested is the field of our time. Perhaps this law is calling us modern people to leave a margin in our time for the poor and for the outsider and for the stranger. Because every single day of our life is like a field. And every day we go out into that field and we start to sow. We get our to-do lists in hand and we start to sow. We start to do things and we try to be efficient and we try to be productive and we try to make our days fruitful and we want to come to the end of our days feeling like things have been fruitful. Maybe this law is asking us, do we leave any space in our days for the needy? Or are we harvesting right up to the edge? Do we have any margin in our time where the needy can come and glean? Or are we just too busy for that? Let us admit that when it comes to the pressures that our society puts on us, we are absolutely encouraged to harvest right up to the edge of our field and leave no margins. Right? Whatever your job is, whatever you're doing, somebody is measuring you right now to make sure that you are maximally efficient and that one grape of time falls off your vine and that one second of your time goes unharvested. The pressures that we feel is to go right to the edge of our field and use every moment as productively as we can. But when you do that, there's not much room for hospitality. It's hard to be in a hurry and love people. 
In his book, The Art of Neighboring, that's the book I just held up and waved in front of you, Dave Runyon, one of the authors, tells a story about a decision that he and his wife had to make when their son Ethan became nine years old. Ethan was a really good baseball player. Right? He was starting to show real promise and he loved the game. So he's both talented and enthusiastic about the game of baseball. And so his coaches were encouraging the parents to put him in travel baseball, which is what you do, right? They say, well, if you really want your son to maximize his potential, he's got to play travel baseball. Well, they looked at it, really expensive. And also there was the time commitment. Three practices a week, getting the kid back and forth from practice, and then a game on the weekend, often a game out of town. An enormous amount of time, and they looked at the fullness of that, and they asked themselves the question, will we have any margins? Will there be any room in our life to love our neighbor? Will there be any margin in our life where we can practice hospitality the way we want to practice hospitality? And for them, they decided to keep their kid in regular baseball. Now, I'm not saying that all travel sports are bad, not saying that. I'm saying they're time-consuming, which is um, a non-controversial statement. And like all the choices we make with our time in our life, we have to ask the question, when we make these choices, are we doing everything in our life? Is, are we planting and reaping everything in our life for the benefit of ourselves and our families, or are we leaving margins around the sides for the poor? for the broken, for the stranger. What might it look like to leave margin time in our life specifically? Well, maybe if you're a cook, you're cooking a nice meal for the family, maybe once a week, say Saturday's your day that you do that. When you cook, don't just make one portion, make a double portion. And put the second portion in the freezer, and then look around your neighborhood the people who are in your neighborhood, and is there anyone who would really be blessed by that meal? Or maybe Sunday when you come to church, look at the bulletin. Is there some family that's going through something who would really be blessed by that meal? And then take the time in the middle of the week to go to that person, give them the meal, and offer them your blessing. Margin time. If you're a person who already volunteers in one of the homeless shelters around here, blessed are you. But if your volunteering keeps you behind a counter, just maybe slopping food and doesn't ever get you face to face, take some time afterwards to come out from behind the counter and meet the people. If you work in an office, consider leaving your door open so that people might greet you once in a while. If you live in a home that has a backyard patio, don't always sit in the backyard patio, once in a while sit in the front yard. And when people come by your open door or when people come by you in the front yard, greet them. Say hello and ask them how they are and ask them in such a way that they know that you want to hear the answer. In the art of neighboring, one of the ways that that's summed up is say, be interruptible. Be the kind of person who is interruptible. Look like you're interruptible. There is a way that you can carry yourself and you can make sure that nobody will ever interrupt you, right? You walk and you look straight ahead and your greeting is like, hey, how you doing? Good, good to see you. And it's the, the, your body language is, I'm all business, don't bother me, I'm very busy and important. Carry yourself, open yourself up like a person who is ready to hear someone else's story 
And when they come and they get ready to tell you, give them some of that margin time. Be interruptible. Jesus, now he was interruptible. He had enormous margins in his life. Jesus' margins were so big that sometimes 4,000 and 5,000 people would come and sit down in those margins and he would feed them. Jesus' margins were so big, children would come and he would take them on his knee He'd be going through Jericho on his way to something important. A blind beggar would cry out from the margins. He'd turn to the side, spend time with him. Every single day, a host of people came up to Jesus and tugged on his coat and got in his face and told them their problems and told them about their sick relatives. And he listened and he stopped and he healed. And when it was all done, he stood up and asked for more. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hospitality was absolutely at the center of who he was. It's something he learned from his father. When God stood over creation, that formless void you read about in Genesis 1, and everything's boiling, and he's about to say, let there be light, and open up in the middle of everything a space for us to exist, right? God didn't need us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were content and perfect in themselves. Didn't need to create this. When God stood up and said, let there be light, and opened up a hospitable face for us to exist, do you think he was able to see how much that would cost him? Do you think he could see the cross standing in the middle of that and what it would cost him and his son to welcome us? You know he could. It's the center of who he is. And that's why when we practice hospitality, and when I stand up here and try to urge you to practice hospitality, I'm, I'm not trying to just hit you with the law. I'm inviting you into the heart of God. To be Christ-like people. To live the way Jesus lived and to have his life fill you up. Because that's what happens. When you practice hospitality, you find it transforms you. 35 years ago in Como, Italy, the Fagini brothers, Erasmo and Innocente, two great names, were very successful men who, who both had, because they were so successful, sown their fields to the absolute edge. Everything they were doing was in service of their success. Um, Innocente was an eye surgeon, really respected, and Erasmo was a fabric designer and had more work than he knew what to do with. But even though they were really successful and really busy, they did not feel fulfilled. And so one day Erasmo went to see a local priest, and the priest introduced him to a god who was not a list of rules, but a loving god with a face who wanted to have a relationship with him. And Erasmo was transformed and he went home and he became a Christian and Innocente became a Christian and their wives became Christians. Now Innocente and his wife had said they were never gonna have children. Too busy, too busy to make room for that. But then in 1986, after they become Christians, a local hospital had a need for fostering an infant child who was HIV positive. 
The mother had had AIDS, she died, and there was this baby. And Innocente and his wife took this child in, and it was so transformative to them and so moving to them to take care of this child that they started inviting other children in with special needs. And the four of them, the two husbands and the two wives, started something called Cometa, which is a home which invites all kinds of these children in, gives them hospitality, gives them a place to stand and a place to be loved. And when David Brooks visited there in 2018, he found a U-shaped table with all those adults sitting around and like 40 children. And Marina Figini was holding a Down syndrome child on her lap. And she said to Brooks, you know, I, I used to be afraid of disabled children, but now my life has had a revolution of love. So who's changed in that story? Who's the one giving the grace and who's the one receiving it? Who's getting transformed? It's not just the children, it's the parents, it's everyone. It's the same thing with Ruth, right? Boaz welcomed Ruth into the fields. Boaz was the generous one giving hospitality. But at the end of the story, who's more transformed, Ruth or Boaz? It's pretty hard to tell. That's how God works. He is busy doing amazing things in the margins. He is sowing love and welcoming people and transforming lives in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And it's hard work when you're living in the margins. It's hard work when you're practicing hospitality and you might get exhausted sometimes, but it's the beautiful exhaustion of people who know that they're doing God's work in his world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that these old laws still can open up for us possibilities for today, still have something to teach us about your way and your love and your welcome. Uh, Lord, you know that we're busy people. Lord, you know that, that for most of us, when someone asks us how we're doing, busy is the first thing we say. Or teach us to find margins in our life where your love can flow and we can be about your business. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.